0: I'm Bonnie Glazer, director of the China Power Project at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. In this episode of the China Power podcast, we're discussing the 10th BRICS Summit, along with China's role in the organization and its relations with the other member states. BRICS is an acronym for five countries with fast-growing emerging economies and growing regional influence, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. The BRICS nations have met for an annual summit since 2009, with the most recent summit occurring in Johannesburg, South Africa, from July 25th to 27th. Since there's great variation in the political and economic systems of the member states, there is limited convergence of interest, but potential for some cooperation, As the largest economy among the BRICS nations, China has the ability to play an outsized role in the group. To analyze the recent BRICS summit, China's role, and the group's future potential, I'm joined by Duncan Innes Kerr. Duncan heads a team of analysts covering Asia in the Economist Intelligence Unit's Country Analysis Division in Hong Kong. He has helped to produce customized research and analysis on many topics, and has shared his perspectives on Asia with senior corporate executives, academics, and diplomatic officials. Duncan is also a frequent commentator for news services such as the BBC, CNN, and CNBC. Thanks for joining us today, Duncan. Very welcome. So to begin, can you give our listeners a brief overview of BRICS? How and why was the organization established?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, Well, as you mentioned, uh, this all dates back really to 2001 when uh, Jim O'Neill at Goldman Sachs was trying to group together uh, this group of of large, fast-growing emerging market economies that were taking over from the G7 as the real drivers of global growth. Um, So in that initial group, you had only four big economies. So that was uh, Brazil, Russia, uh, India, and China. and uh, that was obviously a very attractive sort of branding opportunity for those countries. So uh, they they got together in, in 2006 uh, for the first time. Uh, that was a meeting of sort of foreign officials. Um, and uh, that sort of uh, seemed to develop its own momentum. So they moved towards a sort of a first formal summit uh, in 2009 at Yekaterinburg in Russia. Um, now, that sort of grouping uh, was already sort of fairly strong and dynamic. Um, but the BRICS itself, everyone had always referred to them as, as the plural, um, and South Africa was was very keen to join the group. Uh, and I think there was also a desire to sort of incorporate uh, a country from the, the African region as well. Um, so that saw South Africa added to the group in 2010, um, and, and, that, uh, and South Africa attended its first summit in 2011 in Sanyar in China, Um, So that's that's how the group, as we know it, sort of came to emerge. Um, I think right from the start, it has been about challenging the idea of of a uh, a unipolar world led by the US. Uh, You know, Jim O'Neill was trying to say that sort of uh, these emerging markets are kind of becoming uh, a new source of power in the world, uh, and uh, the governments were kind of keen to further that message. And I think all members of the group see themselves as powerful actors on the global stage. Uh, Now, there is a bit of variance with the different leaderships that come through. So uh, since Lula's left uh, the presidency in Brazil, I think Brazil's become a little uh, more sort of reticent about taking on that sort of role. Um, But they are really sort of uh, powerful players on the global stage. Um, And even as far back as 2009 at that very first summit, they were already challenging the idea of the U.S. dollar as a reserve currency. Uh, So it has been about trying to sort of... Uh, build a world where the U.S. is not just the only power uh, in charge of things.
0: Do you think that BRICS is an example of China trying to in some way modify uh, the international system, the the post-World War II liberal order, if you will? Uh, Obviously, the Trump administration has labeled China a revisionist state uh, in the national security strategy that was released last uh, December. So is BRICS an example of that or not?
1: Yes, I, th- I think the BRICS is really an example of China trying to leverage other countries that share its view that uh, uh, the international order is is really uh, not stacked in their favor at the moment and that they'd like to uh, have a more powerful say in in how things are run. Um, Certainly, we know know that China wants to see uh, its standards used internationally more, uh, its views to win out in in, uh, major sort of global challenge issues, Um, but I think the, you know, we also see China sort of with a different model that it wants to advance, Um, that model around sort of a CCP-controlled government and a state-led development uh, that really represents a challenge to the the U.S.-led ideas of of sort of free markets and uh, Western-style democracy. Uh, and I think for many people, it's that angle uh, of China's revisionism that is, is one of the more sort of scary aspects about it. Um, but that particular angle is perhaps less apparent uh, within the BRICS, uh, where there's a lot of different governments who have their own agendas, and uh, uh, that sort of competition tends to mute uh, China's own own perspectives. But I think it's, it's also worth saying that sort of, you know, China is revisionist, but it also uh, is a collaborative player in some areas, areas like sort of climate change or, or peacekeeping, where it's uh, playing a sort of a very collaborative role. And we also have, of course, Xi Jinping playing the, uh, the current role as a champion of, of global free trade, uh, whether or not you, you believe that one. Um, so it, it's not a black and white question. Uh, and I think the, the role of the BRICS is perhaps uh, one where it's, it is working with others uh, who have differences of opinion, and that does make it a, a, a sort of a softer challenge to the, uh, the international order than perhaps China on its own is.
0: The most recent uh, summit, which, as I uh, mentioned, uh, took place in, uh, in Africa in late July. This was a uh, themed collaboration for inclusive growth and shared prosperity in the fourth industrial revolution. Quite a mouthful. (laughs) How does this theme relate to China's increased economic engagement with uh, Africa, and how would you put it in the larger frame of the Belt and Road Initiative and China's goals there?
1: You know, when it comes to Africa, both China and India are very big players there. So within the BRICS, they really are the, uh, and of course, South Africa. (laughs) Um, Within the BRICS, it is these sort of three that are, are kind of the ones that are most interested. Um, and you have South Africa on the one hand seeking to attract investment uh, and and the other two partners uh, seeking to invest in the region. So uh, slightly different interests at heart, but that was a dynamic that was quite obvious uh, at the summit. There was a lot of uh, business being done around the edges. Um, And I think the other thing that was very noticeable is that there were a lot of other African heads of state that turned up for the summit, which really speaks to uh, how much sway that China in particular now has in the area. Having said all that, uh, the activities of the BRICS uh, bodies at the moment, uh, the New Development Bank for example, are very specifically limited to member states at the moment and they are very distinct from uh, China's own activities under the Belt and Road Initiative. Uh, I know there are a- ambitions to broaden uh, the remit of, of BRICS bodies, uh, and certainly I think Africa will be a key area uh, for the grouping to demonstrate that it can have an impact on a wider scale. Uh, but for the moment, uh, the Belt and Road and the BRICS are, are operating down same uh, tracks. Uh, sorry, uh, operating down different tracks in the same direction.
0: So, what were the main issues that were on the uh, agenda for this? summit? Uh, were there any notable points of dispute or contention uh, between leaders? What was accomplished?
1: I think they, they tend to stay away from contentious issues at the BRICS. It's a, uh, a group of governments that uh, uh, like to uh, avoid uh, uh, public clashes. Um, and there were certainly a number of different areas that were discussed that uh, weren't really uh, very prominent in, in the, uh, the media coverage, for example. So. Uh, There was discussion about setting up a vaccine research center, for example, around tourism cooperation, uh, technology cooperation, and closer collaboration in areas such as energy and agricultural research. Uh, These were all, you know, very much sort of working groups doing the, uh, uh, the, the hard work behind the scenes. Um, but I think the real key theme that dominated the meeting was around uh, the challenge to the global trading order that uh, Donald Trump's uh, America First policy is currently posing. Uh, and that's, of course, been uh, emphasized, I think, by also the way in which uh, the U.S. has been using its dominance of the global financial system to uh, bring other countries into the line on on issues such as uh, North Korea or Iran, for example, um, And those sorts of activities are exactly the sort of reason why uh, the BRICS countries have been trying to sort of set up uh, alternative structures uh, that don't allow the U.S. to to wield such control. Um, So, I think the BRICS summit gave an opportunity for these governments to come together at a time when, uh, you know, the motives that brought them together were really uh, front and foremost. One of the things that did come out very clearly was uh, the BRICS members' support for the the World Trade Organization, uh, for the current global trading system. Uh, They they admitted that there was a need for reform, but they they were very supportive of the underlying uh, structures behind that. Um, But in general, it was a a largely uncontroversial and and fairly low-key summit. Um, And I, I don't think that there was much that one can point to in the way of Uh, very concrete outcomes uh, from from the actual summit itself.
0: If you look back over the years since the inception of the BRICS, uh, do you think that the progress that they have made in terms of setting up some alternative structures uh, has really achieved the aspirations that the members of the group have? Um, uh, what's What have they really done to influence global investment and, and and trade in the way that they have worked together?
1: I think it's a grouping that really still has yet to live up to its potential. Uh, and you can kind of see its potential there. But uh, if we're looking at its achievements, uh, there, there are certain uh, currency swap arrangements that are in place. Uh, but I think really the only landmark sort of concrete achievement that you can point to uh, over the years is the establishment of the uh, the new development bank uh, which was set up in 2014. Um, Now that's certainly a a, a very interesting body um, uh, and it it has some very interesting projects that it's engaged in. Um, But it really is these days only one of a number of development banks out there. So again, it's very difficult to say that that is a, uh, you know, something that's going to shake up the global order. Uh, So I think What's going to be interesting to watch going forward is whether the BRICs are able to come up with uh, structures that do genuinely challenge uh, U.S. dominance. Um, My my own uh, interest is in particularly this area of can they come up with systems that challenge the U.S. dominance of the financial system uh, in particular. Um, But uh, at the moment, there's there's very little sign that they're making uh, the sort of headway that they'd need to if they were going to have uh, an impact that would move the needle on that sort of side.
0: What would that look like if they created financial structures that really challenged the United States?
1: It's very hard to say. I mean, the sort of thing one might be looking at would be alternative payment systems that could rival SWIFT, for example, um, uh, or, uh, uh, you know, the UN uh, becoming a sort of uh, an international currency that could challenge the dollar. Uh, but I think these are really very long-term uh, aspirations, and the... The problem for the BRICS is really that uh, uh, if they are going to happen, then they're almost certainly going to be systems that are dominated by China, and that's not something that the other member states will necessarily be terribly comfortable with.
0: So speaking about uh, China's uh, dominance uh, in an interview that uh, you did recently with CNBC, you said that China has a difficult relationship with other member states since it's the elephant of the group. could you elaborate a bit on this statement? Is is China the primary agenda setter? Does it does it dominate decision making uh, in in the BRICS? Uh, are are other countries able to protect their interests and and push back, or uh, does China get its way on things?
1: Yeah, when I, I when I said that China was the uh, the elephant of the group, I mean. It really is very obvious when you consider the size. I mean, certainly in population terms, India can rival China, no question there. But uh, in terms of its economy, China is twice the size of the other four partner members put together. Uh, So it really is, you know, the elephant in the room when it comes to economic might. Um, And I think for the other member uh, states within the BRICS, uh, there is this constant concern that uh, China is going to be uh, the country that's going to emerge dominant within them. Um, so it's not so much that uh, they they would be sort of escaping from U.S. dominance, but moving instead towards a, a Chinese dominance. Um, they don't really, as a result of all this, uh, have uh, a sort of an agenda-setting leader. Um, the, the BRICS is set up quite carefully to uh, watch... Uh, that sort of power balancing mechanism. So, for example, when it comes to the member, uh, sorry, when it comes to the organizations within the BRICS, uh, they disperse them very carefully. So the, uh, the New Development Bank, for example, is headquartered in Shanghai. Uh, there's a Chamber of Commerce with uh, BRICS Chamber of Commerce in Delhi. Uh, there's a BRICS Research Center in South Africa and so on. Um, so the, there is a, a careful dispersal of these, these entities. And even within the entities, the the management structures are very carefully uh, divided uh, on a basis of nationality. Um, Now, that succeeds in balancing out the various interests of the members, uh, but at the expense, I think, of effectiveness within these organizations. So uh, they have successfully... Uh, manage not to let China dominate. But then on the other hand, without a uh, sort of a clear leader within them, uh, it does become a lot more careful, a, a lot more difficult to advance uh, the sort of agendas that uh, the various partner members might have.
0: Do you see the, the differences in the political systems and the economic systems of the member states um, as an obstacle to uh, to cooperation, uh, particularly in areas that would Try to restrain or counter uh, U.S. influence in the world.
1: Absolutely. I mean, these, these countries are really, when it comes down to it, uh, very different countries, and they are bound uh, together largely by a sort of a marketing acronym come up uh, that came out of Goldman Sachs. So uh, the the unity is is um, uh, it's it's more of a branding exercise than a uh, uh, than, than a congruence of uh, interest. Um, You have countries like uh, Russia and Brazil that are already fairly developed. You have China that's rapidly uh, developing uh, to the same sort of levels. Uh, You have India that's very poor, and you have South Africa, uh, which is uh, on a whole separate different level of of challenges with its uh, internal sort of uh, uh, ethnic mix uh, problems and and, uh, state-led economic uh, challenges. Um, So, I mean, these really are very different sort of countries, and they have very different systems of governance. Uh, moreover, they all have their own separate uh, political cycles, which are uh, constantly uh, causing problems. Brazil at the moment, for example, uh, currently in, in political turmoil, which is really uh, impeding its ability to, to get much done on the international stage. Um, so I think the there are a lot of challenges trying to get uh, a... Shared vision uh, out of out of these uh, member member economies. Um, but having said all that, uh, there is still this this interest in coming up with a new system. So I think it is possible to envision a, a circumstance internationally which might uh, result in the uh, in the five members coming together uh, and uh, leading change. Uh, But at the moment, uh, it's it's quite difficult to uh, see how that actually is going to happen.
0: So if you look out into the future, where do you really think that the BRICS might have an impact? And is there any potential for further expanding the membership? Uh, Obviously, South Africa came later. Um, Is there any interest among the members in in bringing in uh, other countries and and what are the variables that you think will affect whether the influence of the BRICS actually grows or wanes over time?
1: It's an interesting question. I, I think in terms of expansion, I mean, there is potential for, for the group to expand. Um, particularly, there are a couple of other fairly uh, prominent global players that might, uh, with the right leadership, be interested in taking up positions that, and, and could conceivably uh, fit within this sort of this sort of bracket, uh, so uh, I'm thinking particularly of places like Nigeria and Indonesia, which are are sort of uh, large enough economies that they could uh, fit within that sort of uh, bracket that the uh, the grouping currently holds. Um, but the trouble is that sort of to bring these people in, you'd immediately uh, be asking, well, you know, now you've changed the acronym uh, and the branding behind BRICS is such a powerful. Uh, element of its selling point that it is—it's uh, difficult to see the grouping uh, being effective uh, if it brought more people in. Uh, added to which, of course, is the problem that, uh, as I mentioned, there's a very careful balancing of power within the group. So the more people you have in, the more interests you have um, uh, to compete with. Uh, but I do think there is this interest in in uh, expanding the uh, the remit uh, of the institutions within. Uh, the existing uh, BRICS setup. So certainly the new development bank, currently limited to lending to member states, uh, might well end up lending to some other countries. Um, in other areas, uh, particularly on the research side, uh, it's very possible to see uh, other partners being brought in at that sort of level. So I think while, while the top uh, sort of top-line leadership uh, would be quite difficult to change. Uh, there's certainly a lot of potential for, for added collaboration with other countries and, uh, and partners uh, in, in other parts of what the BRICS do.
0: And do you think that the role of the United States as, obviously, an external player will have much impact on how the BRICS functions in the future and what it is able to agree on. In other words, will concerns about U.S. policies and the Trump administration perhaps be a driver that might enable the BRICS to do more than they otherwise would have done? I think
1: the Trump factor is one of the great unknowns in terms of how, how the BRICS going to move forward. Um, at the moment, uh, Donald Trump is certainly shaking up the international order, um, but he hasn't broken it entirely. Uh, I do think if we saw uh, things like NATO, uh, like the World Trade Organization, uh, actually being being discarded, uh, then the rest of the world would be forced to uh, come up with new uh, ways and systems and as a result of that process uh, the BRICS might take on uh, new new meaning and importance. Um, a lot of it will be around whether or not they can serve as a channel for uh, closer collaboration uh, with the European Union and I think what's interesting is even internally you're seeing the BRICS uh, acting as a sort of a neutral ground for interaction between some of the member states that might in other contexts be more controversial so uh, the, uh, the NDB, for example, is lending in India in a way that China can't through the belt and road because, uh, India, uh, because of its tense relationship with China, uh, in strategic terms, uh, is reluctant to engage with the belt and road. Um, so I think the belt, uh, the, the, BRICS organization could potentially be a sort of a neutral ground, uh, through which, uh, these, these very large, uh, and, and, uh, influential actors could, uh, engage with other people, uh, that might be reluctant to engage with them on a bilateral basis. Um, so, if, if Donald Trump genuinely does burn down the global order, uh, this could be a, a, an interesting uh, group with which to start building a new one. But I think, for the moment, that's still quite a uh, uh, quite a pessimistic outlook. And um, you know, I think it's much more likely that Donald Trump is is merely going to uh, shake things up rather than burn things down.
0: I think you're probably right. We'll have to see. We'll watch this closely. Uh, BRICS is one of those interesting new organizations uh, that uh, China has played a role uh, in uh, creating uh, as well as uh, contributing to the potential revisionist uh, objective that China has, uh, but uh, uncertain, as you say, as to how far it will really go. Um, I want to thank you for talking with us today. Uh, We've been speaking with Duncan Innes Kerr, who heads a team of analysts covering Asia in the Economist Intelligence Unit in Hong Kong. Thanks again.
1: Thank you very much.